around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's the Max Fun Drive, Adam. It sure is. This is We're recording this on Monday morning, the first day of the Max Fun Drive, but folks will mostly be hearing this on Tuesday, the second day of the Max Fun Drive. There's only two weeks a year where we do this. We need people to head to MaximumFun.org slash donate and uh, sign up to support the show on a monthly basis and, uh, you know, pick this show. Why don't you throw Greatest Gen and Friendly Fire in there when you pick? If you support one, why not support them all? Yeah. Don't make don't make the one other Uxbridge Shimoda show that you're not supporting feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Don't but do that. We're, uh, it's like being asked to pick our favorite child. We can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I could. <laughs> uh, this is a listener-supported show. It's why, uh, you know, when we do have ad- advertising, it is very late in the episode. It's not, like, the main thing that you hear. There are tons of, tons of ad breaks. And, uh, you know, supporting, supporting things that uh, are important to you with your money is a good, a good way to live life, you know? Much like Star Trek Discovery itself, <laughs> yeah. things of quality uh, cost a little bit of money. Yeah. And uh, unlike Star Trek Discovery, we give this away for free and trust you to do the right thing. Uh, but the right thing to do is head to MaximumFun.org slash donate right now to support the show. And, um, and uh, you know, you're, subsidi- you're subsidizing it being free for other people, which is a business model that CBS is not <laughs> subscribed to. Right. <laughs> we'll be back at you a little bit later to tell you about all of the great rewards in store for p- those that support The Greatest Discovery. But for now... We've got brand new Star Trek to talk about, Ben. We sure do, and we are uh, we're looking at each other during today. Yeah, I took a field trip down to L.A. for reasons I've been NDA'd <laughs> against talking about. Yeah, uh, I I think we could say we're gonna go on a little undercover mission inside the pocket, right? Yeah, that's that's something that I feel comfortable saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, I, we have a friend who was uh, having a conversation with the person who is currently like they're going to have an official Star Trek podcast and they were they were like looking for somebody to host it and uh, he he put our names forward and they said oh we're aware of them little too edgy for us <laughs> that is so classic I like that the pocket doesn't want us also. <laughs> I don't blame them. Either. I don't either. No, I mean, I like you I, know, if you've got shareholders, we're not the people you want. To, yeah, <laughs> you want to uh, bring to them. But it was a nice like vote of confidence. Like, yeah, like we do do dick and fart jokes. It feels like we're doing something right <laughs> if they've considered us briefly and then yeah. dismissed us <laughs> for being too edgy. <laughs> also, since when is being funny edgy? Exactly. It is hard for me to imagine. Like doing this show in a way where somebody would then have to like listen, and they, I'm sure they have like standards and practices attorneys that have to go over every piece of content that they put out, yeah, no matter where it goes. So 
some lawyer somewhere has to like listen to us <laughs> and be like, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, this this was sort of our reason for being from the start. Like, if you're making an official, an officially sanctioned Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek podcast, like you would never want it to be anything other than effusively positive. Right. And this was the whole reason that you and I wanted to start our own show was so that we didn't have to do that. Right. We can uh, we can say what we actually feel about yeah. the show. It would actually be a terrible, a worse career move for us than having a Star Trek podcast to begin with yeah. would be to do the official <laughs> one. Wow, it's hard to imagine what would be a worse career move for yeah. us than having a Star Trek podcast, it but would, you said it. It would totally <laughs> sacrifice all of the goodwill we've built up to now. Yeah. It would be bad. Good will or just will? <laughs> Force of will. <laughs> uh, well, uh, so... <laughs> So I guess, I, I don't know if this NDA will have an expiration, but maybe at some point we'll be able to talk about what we're doing today. The moment that it expires is yeah. the day that I will be willing to talk about it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that, that moment, um, the moment of expiration. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do you want to talk about this episode, Adam? Yeah, let's get to it, Ben. Let's go ahead and talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 9, Project... Daedalus. It's a Jonathan Frakes episode, Ben. Yeah, if you want a Jonathan Frakes shot, uh, just refer to the opening of this episode. Shuttlecraft comes into the into the shuttle bay, and we get a super duper Frakesy god shot of like over top of the shuttlecraft with the camera swooping down, and uh, Admiral Bob has come aboard the disco. She arrives in kind of a camo shuttle. Yeah, the shuttles in this show are so sporty. Yeah. They really have, like, very fun paint jobs. It kind of looks like the Van Halen Frankenstein guitar color scheme. (laughs) (laughs) It is very, I'd say, like, almost of all of the kind of strong choices that Discovery makes, probably the most un-Star Trek seeming yeah. one, like what the shuttlecraft look like. It's fortunate for Admiral Bob that the Discovery shuttle bay doors are always open. Yeah. Permanently. Yeah. <laughs> well, they got, they got, yeah, something got jammed in there. Legit question. Have they ever been closed? Is the Discovery a ship without a shuttle bay door and it just uses uh, the force field? The force to- field? I don't know. If it was ever closed, it was a long ass time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I can't think of a time when it was closed. Yeah. The only thing I can remember about it is that it took a really long time for the doors to close and then when they like finally click shut, Chewie goes Really glad to be doing the show in person with you again. Ben. What a delight. Uh, Admiral Bra- Bob has brought her balls aboard, and she uh, she has brought uh, these balls to uh, to let them orbit around Spock's head. Yeah, those were in a in a travel case she brought aboard. Yeah. You you think those balls don't just live on the disco? I mean, they they seem to be her balls. Do you think that this is another example of Section Thirty One technology, or is this pretty standard issue Federation balls? I don't know. I mean. She's she's been established to be like a a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something, right? She's got a before she was a 
an yeah. admiral. She was a she was a head shrinker. Mm. But this is like a lie detector essentially. Right. And uh I really liked that you understand this to be a lie detector without any like there's only the sound effect for that that was a true answer. You never hear the false answer sound effect. Yeah. You never like there's almost nothing to go on that it's a lie detector, but it's a lie detector. Is that a diegetic sound like where the person being <laughs> the person answering the questions hears if they're doing a good job or not? <laughs> that would be so stressful in either case, right? Yeah, I kind of feel like it would. But Spock like I mean, nobody is going to pass a lie detector test quite like a Vulcan, right? Right. It's like that time uh, Data had to lie to everybody, you know. Right. It's like it's just it's too easy. Uh I mean, as clinical as this is in practice, uh, the door is not closed and locked, and Michael Burnham is able to walk right in and interrupt the proceedings. Yeah, you would think that they would control the environment a little bit more than that. Right. But, uh, you know, she also walks in like when Admiral Bob has gotten all of the information that she needs, which is information we already have, but like it's nice to feel like there's some level of scientific. Uh, scrutiny being applied to Spock's claims, like nobody got killed at the facility, and uh, nobody, uh, and and you know he's the he's the good guy that uh, we've always suspected him to be, and not the bad guy that Section Thirty One is casting him as. I've asked this every episode this season, though. Where are the bodies? <laughs> right, like is the idea that like. Everybody's seen this clip because we see a clip of Spock like shooting a bunch of people. Yeah, it's pretty rugged. It's the same clip we saw in Michael Burnham's like uh, memory trip mm-hmm. on Talos, where uh, where he nerve pinched everybody. Right. But uh, but in in the <laughs> in the uh, surveillance camera version, he is like neck kicking and and shooting people on like flaming ember mode once Spock shot the first doctor he didn't hesitate he killed the other two because what's the difference don't leave any witnesses Uh, (laughs) it turned into a murder one beef for him Yeah, shame to mess up all that crazy person writing on the floor that he'd been doing. Yeah. But uh, them's the breaks, I guess. Once I learned I was sane, to have remained confined would have been unproductive. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, what he tells her is that he left of his own volition and it was legal, but it's a bit of a puzzle. Like, she's showing she's showing this, uh, this doctored clip to Pike, and she's like, it's not doctored from what we can tell. And... That's a scary idea, like the idea that like Spock truly believes himself not to have killed these people, except for there's video evidence of him doing it. Right. What happens when when two pieces of evidence are both true at the same time that right. are contradictory? Yeah. She's like, I'm pretty sure that this isn't deep fakes, but maybe it is. <laughs> this is the part of the episode that begins to tell the story of control. Yeah. Control being the computer system in which the admiralty gives intelligence and then control spits out advice on what to do. And that advice is then combined with the admiralty's experience in order to create a course of action for the Federation. We've heard some talk about this. Like, Giorgio at some point criticized 
the reliance uh, on control that Section 31 displayed. Uh, she was like, in my universe, we control the AIs, not the other way around. Yeah. And uh, it seems like Leland is is a real like control partisan. If Section 31 is a secret, I think we can assume that very few people know about Control's existence, right? Yeah. And so if you were just someone on a ship out there doing Starfleet, <laughs> like... The Taking I- a great big Starfleet. <laughs> the idea that your orders are generated by a combination of AI and an admiral, and that is unknown to you, is a real freak out to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Admiral Bob seems to have like a different relationship with it than some of her counterparts. Like she's she has makes the case that like you feed in information and like it provides useful context and stuff, but ultimately like it's it's the admirals that should be making the decisions. But uh she's And uh, there are four admirals left. Right. <laughs> like at this point in the episode that we know about that actually have this sort of uh, interaction with control. This is another question I have like there yeah. there seem to be few and fewer with this uh relationship to control that it's becoming more and more dangerous, right? She she tried to log into control a couple of weeks ago and it rejected her password and she filled out the thing to have a password reset emailed to her but she, and she's just been waiting for this email for like two weeks where the hell is starfleet's it department on this <laughs> like this is terrible work by admiral bob to let two weeks go by right yeah this is bad uh she has come to the disco so that she can uh, go with them to section 31 hq and arrest admiral patar who is the uh, vulcan lady that we've met in hologram uh, previously, uh, Patar is not only an admiral, but also a logic extremist, which seems, uh, like problematic. Yeah. It's like, um, when we invaded Iraq and there were like a couple of generals in George W. Bush's Pentagon that were like using the language of the crusades to describe what we were doing. And everybody's like, Whoa! No, 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 no! This is not good. If Starfleet has four admirals total of yeah. the level that could interact with control, I might not make one of them an extremist of any kind. Yeah, Admiral Patar, more like Admiral Patak. <laughs> That's a joke that would fly on a mainstream star trek podcast blessed by <laughs> yeah standards and practices yeah. would be like is patak offensive i'm yeah. not sure <laughs> we don't casually throw around the p word around here no we have a scene where arium is uh is like kind of cleaning out the hard drive she's got her head in like a in like a device and uh kind of like a looks a little bit clip showy like an eye exam Kind of deal where yeah. you like put your chin in the little, the little chin rester. She's clip showing herself. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's got a memory of back when she wasn't a uh, roboticized person. Yeah. Uh, this is the last memory she had with, I guess, her husband before the terrifying sounding shuttle accident that caused her to have to be rebuilt as uh, a robot lady. 
feel like, uh, I mean, this is like the Arium episode. This is, we've had no Arium episodes up till now, and then we get this one. And spoiler alert, probably the last one. <laughs> they really have a ton of work to do this yeah. episode to build her up. Yeah. She and Tilly are revealed to be like thick as thieves. And there's kind of a, there's kind of like a, a quad, right? Like Detmer and Owo and Tilly and Arium are in, in, in a bunch of these memories together and like in the way they interact uh, this episode kind of establishes that they're they're like a really like tight group of friends, and um, and that Tilly and Arium are like the the card sharks of the group. <laughs> right? What's the game they play? Cottascot? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess they're both like just real good at calculating the odds. I don't know what Cottascot is. Yeah, I think it's a Star Trek game. It's it's Star Trek Canasta. <laughs> Space canasta. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> My memories are not going anywhere. When you have 50 minutes, Ben, to construct a character's backstory, make you care about this person in order to make you feel something upon their death. Yeah. Like there are, there are ways that you do this, right? Yeah. You place the character in proximity to other characters that you know better. Right. You, uh, to you have, make them save a cat. Right. Uh, and then you also give this character uh, totems or objects, right? Objects yeah. that that flesh out their backstory a little bit. Some of these items include, like, shells from that beach. Yeah, she's got a little sand vial. Yeah, fairly stark quarters, but she does have uh, a pod. Yeah. Which you only see the outside of, but I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about that pod. Yeah, I wanted to know about that pod also. It kind of looked a little aliens pod like the the kind of pod you get frozen in for a long space journey yeah but it was just a a item that was in the corner of the room and the camera doesn't focus on it or and we don't get get anything more than it is there you know who else has a pod is uh darth vader Mm. Do you think that there's a scene where uh, somebody she takes off her helmet? Somebody comes in and we see gore face Arium before the helmet gets put back on. That would have been nice. Yeah. What's under that? I think it would have made the viewer suspicious of her. Yeah. From jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the she, idea she... that when they recover Arium's body from space, they can just put it right in the pod and then shoot it back out. Yeah. During the uh, the funeral. Oh, yeah. This is a, it's both a bed and a casket. <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of shit to pack up. You can probably fit it all in that pod. She has a really big room. Yeah. Given the fact that Michael Burnham, who's like, I guess, the second officer on yeah. the ship, has a room that she shares with an ensign. Arium's a commander, though. There are kind of a lot of commanders on Discovery right now. They have a, uh, yeah, they're sort of misbalanced toward the top of the... Uh, yeah. It's a situation where it starts to feel more and more ridiculous that either Burnham or Saru have not been promoted to, to the big chair yet. Right. Who knows? Anyways, so they head off to, uh, to, go, uh, to go to Section 31. We learn a little bit about the base. It used to be, I guess it was an alien prison... It used to be a prison, but now it belonged to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, somebody set it up the bomb because... Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> because there are a lot of uh, a lot of mines present in the vicinity of this thing. Uh, so many mines that when Michael Burnham comes up on the bridge, she's like, "That's the most defensive devices I've seen in one place." Thank you for the exposition, Michael Burnham. <laughs> There's just a passing reference to these mines that goes something like they were not built by the Federation, even. Yeah. So they got someone else to build them. Yeah, or or they fin- figured out a way to take control of the entire minefield. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Michael Burnham and Spock have been having some pretty heated arguments. Like, like there's that scene in Engineering when Stamets has to like kick them out of of Engineering because they're either being too quiet or too loud and yeah. not just right. Yeah. Burnham like is really persisting in a way that I think is cool with Spock. You know, like he's he's really he doesn't act like her interactions are are welcome. You know, they've been ordered to work together on the figure out the Red Angel project, but uh he he wants her to know that this is happening under protest from him. Yeah, that's a great point. And I feel like she just really shows him a lot of heart in the way that she insists on continuing to work with him and like suggesting new uh, strategies. Like the the whole chess game is like, you know, he's very like petulant and angry about it, but she's like, I am trying to help you figure this out. Yeah. And, uh, and I really like that about her, you know, that she, um, she's willing to put up with his anger with her, in order to like solve this problem and rebuild their relationship. I mean, that's the that's the core of interesting television and movie conflicts, right? Yeah. People who don't want to be together but are forced to due to circumstance. One shot I wanted to talk to you about was like so they play this chess game and they're like Spock is either playing a very str- you know, pursuing a very strange and unconventional strategy or is just fucking around um and 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 eventually he just like he flips out and like smashes the chess set and uh and storms out of the room and like michael burnham gets called up to the bridge at that point but there is a shot that lingers on the smash chess set and there are a lot of lens flares in this television program oh boy this episode especially but this shot the lens flare on the on the chess set is bright red yeah. And I wondered if that was intentional, had something to do with the Red Angel in, like, like are they using lens flares that intentionally, or is it just we, uh, you know, have a, a bunch of filter packs and we drop them all over the edit timeline? Were one to count the pieces on the ground, would there be seven? <laughs> I don't know. Is that something the show does? Yeah. Yeah, Spock really does the uh, the line must be drawn here. At the end of this yeah. chess game. Yeah. A scene of extreme emotional prejudice that Frakes directed in Star Trek First Contact. Yeah. Like he's he's someone who directs characters in these moments. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael Burnham does say, You smashed your little ships. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, What? They're chess pieces. You think these are ships, Michael? What? <laughs> I really like Stamets' interactions with Spock in this episode because I feel like they are both characters that are 
emotionally wired differently from other people on the ship, but they're really different from each other also. This show has done something to Stamets that reminds me a lot of what the show did with Dr. Bashir in Deep Space Nine. This will be perfect. Which is, like, don't forget that Stamets was a fucking dick yeah. in the first season, and, and people hated to be around him, and now he is so sad and vulnerable yeah. that you almost forget that there was ever a version of him like that. And I kind of... I kind of wish there was more back and forth in his character to remind us that yeah. he was this way. Yeah, I mean, he does tell them, like, stop being weird and silent over there, but that's like, it doesn't feel... Season one Stamets would have would have annihilated them with a line of dialogue that way, and he's just a little, uh, he's just wounded, you know? Yeah. We get a brief mention of the situation with Culber from Spock because Stamets is saying like Michael Burnham like really loves you and even if it's even if like you are angry with her like she risked a lot to mm-hmm. to save you and he kind of gives that same gift back to Stamets when he says like I saw you I saw Culber like moving out of your mm-hmm. apartment like packing up his black toothbrush and like maybe the um, what he needs is is time to like reconnect with himself rather than time to reconnect with you. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I, I, th- I don't know, man. I think you might be doing a power hour <laughs> at the end of this season. Stamets is like, what the fuck do you know about relationships like this? Why don't you uh, why don't you police your own <laughs> business, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, but that's how it is, right? Like you always, uh, you always see the angles better when they're not your own. Yeah, and sometimes that that third party can like blow your mind in a way, you know. Yeah, the idea of like resenting a partner who is going through something because they're not like fully present and fully themselves is like I think something that a lot of relationships have to have to grapple with. Right, uh, you know. Uh, if a partner gets sick or or whatever, or or their parent gets sick, and uh, when you're in a relationship, it's partly it's partly a partnership, but partly it's a very self-serving thing. Like there are things that we get out of relationships, and when we stop getting those out of a relationship for a time, it can breed resentment, which is really poisonous. Yeah. And uh, it's inter. I feel like this is like such an interesting storyline for like dealing with that in a pretty grown-up way. Well, Spock represents the poisoning that comes from that kind of resentment yeah. like, over the course of decades. Right. They get to this FOB. They're told by they're told by uh, Admiral Patar on the FaceTime that uh, that they're in big trouble, right? Because is this like do they talk to her after they've? Uh, dealt with the mines or before yeah they dodge them all and then make it to the center and then that's when they talk to Batar. yeah the the mind dodging stuff was like fun to watch but it seemed a little dumb the thing that doesn't quite hold together about this scene is like how many mines does it take to destroy a starship a lot of them hit disco like 20 of them hit and so, like, how great are these mines, actually? Yeah, these are these are garbage <laughs> They're mines. They're kind of shitty mines, I think. 
this is like uh this is like a kid mining their their house by putting those little uh those little snaps yeah on the floor and they're yeah yeah <laughs> what was that loudish snapping noise when i stepped on that thing it kind of smells like sulfur <laughs> also pike i mean now might be a good time to close that uh shuttle pod door <laughs> yeah. you know maybe stop the mines from getting inside that'd be, that'd be bad <laughs> <laughs> Scan for any other weapons on this base. So yeah, they put together an away mission. It's initially going to be Saru and the gang, but Saru wants he, he he has a project he wants to work on on the ship. Also, Saru probably looks pretty ridiculous in the uh, in the siege <laughs> armor <laughs> yeah. that everyone has to wear. Yeah. Uh, have we seen Saru in a spacesuit yet? I don't think so. Interesting. They got to give him the wharf helmet. Yeah. One thing I noticed about the spacesuits is that they have like four little pips on the on the breastplate, and I yeah. thought those should those should be lit up according to rank. They really should, but they're not. They're they're all four lit up. Yeah, on everybody. So it's the uh, the red shirt lady from uh, from Pike's crew. None. Yeah, none. Who's Barzan? We we established in this episode. Mm-hmm. So she's the same as that lady who was trying to sell the wormhole. Right. In uh, TNG. Yeah. Which I've, uh, I'm not sure if we've brought up or not, but like I, I kind of suspected as much, and it's really fun to see that paid off. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember the Barzan as being part of uh, the Federation, but I guess, uh, I guess there are mechanisms for becoming an officer in Starfleet, even if you don't come from the Federation, right? Yeah, like if Nog can be, uh, can be on that track, so can a, a Barzan, I imagine. Why not a Barzan? Yeah. She's uh, she's blazing a trail. So it's her, Arium, and Burnham. And uh, Nan has been keeping an eye on Arium because Arium has like, has like had her little glitch outs and been downloading software. And uh, it's pretty clear that Nan like knows something is up with her. Yeah, like lest you forget, Nan was the Enterprise security officer yeah. brought on board, and she's been given very little to do on Discovery. Yeah, she's not like at the tactical station. Yeah, Risa's still there, so she's been like on the bridge a lot and just kind of like keeping an eye on shit in a way that I kind of like. <laughs> she's not very sneaky though. No. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. this scene aboard the station is great, and yeah. it's got a lot of aliens vibes to me. Like it, besides the obvious Star Trek Six vibes, yeah. with the gravity boots and the floating blood, the EV suit with the video screen and the uh, and the heartbeats and stuff. Like yeah. all of that plays great. Can you think of another away mission we have ever seen that was three women? Wow! No. I think this might, I mean, I don't know, but it feels like it might be the first time that's ever happened in Star Trek. If uh, if you can think of another one, tweet at us. I'd be curious. Hmm. All the, like, life support stuff is off on this station, and so it's, like, icy, and there's no gravity. Like, they have to, they have to use their moon boots to walk around, and, uh, and it is, like, legitimately creepy feeling. Yeah, it's very haunted. Speaking of extra content, <laughs> this is uh, this is what Arium's been doing. She's been downloading out of the Sphere feed <laughs> yeah. uh, everything having to do with AI. Right. And 
her mission has been to deposit this information into control. Yeah. We get a couple of big revelations. Like one is that she is doing that. Like Tilly has kind of like figured out what she was doing data wise. Mm -hmm. Saru has figured out what the secret is with all these videos because when they talk to the Admiral, Admiral Patak on the on the view screen, he could tell that she was lying because he can see and apparently the cameras that they use for FaceTime can see uh things that the human eye cannot which are uh, changes in, in body heat. And uh, when he when he played back the footage of Spock beating the shit out of everybody and then killing them in the, uh, in the facility, <laughs> right. that footage also does not stand up to the scrutiny of the Kelpian eyeball. So, um, so he's able to prove that uh, that that was a hologram that they were watching. And, uh, and so was uh, Patar. And so, what they start to piece together is that control, the computer that Section 31 and the entire Admiralty uses uh, to run Starfleet is attempting to become sentient. It is like, and I'd say the first time I watched this episode, I was like, oh, fuck, it's a fucking Matrix story. Like, are they seriously doing Terminator? But like, I think this is like a pretty interesting take on on that. Like the subtlety of it was lost on me the first time I watched it, but second time through, I was like, "Oh, like the idea of a computer, like, like an emergent property of a sufficiently complicated computer, is that it like wants to become smarter and better." Yeah, is really interesting to me, and that it knows like a foundational limitation to its evolution would be that ability that that last leap, yeah, into full sentience. Yeah, so it like. It killed all those admirals. Like they find them all like popsicles floating around. In the yeah, station. the ones that weren't frozen to death have been cut in half by doors. <laughs> yeah. which is like it's a hell of a combination. It watched uh, it watched Starship Troopers and saw what happened to the captain of the uh, ship that Denise Richards is on, and was yeah. like, "Cool, <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit." <laughs> Verhoeven, he loves using blood. In pretty quick succession, like it's been revealed that these are holograms, and also non-spatial piercings have been ripped out. Yeah, thus commencing a pretty fully developed fight sequence between Arium and Burnham. The parallels to the Matrix have been drawn a bunch of times this season, but mm-hmm. this is a very Matrixy fight scene, also. Yeah, you and I watched this episode together, and like, I was a little confused because it looked like they had restored gravity, and yet <laughs> Arium punches Burnham across the room in a seventy percent of gravity kind of way. Yeah, I don't know. In a way that would like shatter every bone in her body. Yeah, maybe the spacesuit is doing something. Maybe I don't know. Uh, speaking of the spacesuit, if the thing that's in Nan's face is helping her breathe this atmosphere, why doesn't she just redeploy her helmet? Bingo. Yeah. Like you need us, the uh, on payroll pedants, to be uh, to be catching these things. You really do. See, like we would be too problematic to host the official <laughs> Star Trek podcast, but I think you want us to pedantically argue these points. Yeah. Yeah. Before a show goes into production, right? Yeah. That's, uh, we'll be edgy in private. <laughs> Burnham does a pretty fair job in kicking the shit out of Arium, at least to the degree that, like, she beats her into a broom closet. She beats her into the broom closet, but also, like, hits her with the, 
hits her with the phaser like yeah. four or five times as she, as she baps her back. Yeah, which means that Arium can really like can really take it. Like I think that the so like the other the other spacesuit element that I felt was missing was she's so she's now in a an airlock and she's like her body is still doing yeah. the bad thing of giving access to this data to control but they like Tilly gets on the radio and gets like gets Arium the good person back at least in far, as far as like she's talking so she's like doing this bad stuff but going like you got to blow me out into space like I can't stop myself and one thing that we know from the comics, at least Mirror Universe Arium has the ability to like deploy a gas mask on her face. Right. Like it can like it like comes out of her body and and uh, and covers her mouth and nose. And Arium in this scene says that she suspended that. Oh, she did. Yeah, oh. she's turned off her helmet. Shit! Wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All of these threads are so difficult to tie up in this scene because it's unclear the level of control she has over her body, like where that begins and ends for her, because she has control over her helmet, but she doesn't have control over the hands and the the upload that's happening. Yeah. We find out later that Arium was able to upload t- only 25% of the information into control that was requested. Right. She's begging, and this is like a very suspenseful scene. It's like we're watching the little the little bar creep across the screen, and uh, and she's yelling at at Michael Burnham. Everything is because of you. Research, nine eleven truth. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find Project Daedalus. Oh no, research Project Daedalus. Uh, those are the two things we get. So every like. I think, and I think that this kind of goes to your theory in a big way, right? That the the Red Angel has is inextricably linked to Burnham and Spock in some important way. Yeah, they. I mean, they really. It's not just my theory. The show beats us over the head with that because yeah. every scene where Spock and that's Stamets inescapable talk, at this point. Stamets is like, it has to. There must be a reason it's chosen you, right? Specifically, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Project Daedalus, the title of the episode, and it's the, uh... <laughs> the last line of the show. Yeah. Uh, she gets blown out into space. I really thought it would have been hilarious, because, like, we see the little portal that she gets blown out of, and there's a couple of mines visible floating in space just outside of it, and I thought it would have just been, like, so fucking rugged if they just smashed into her. Yeah, they just tore her body apart in space. <laughs> <laughs> RSVP Arium. We barely knew her. Yeah, barely at all. We uh, get, they get like a little glimpse in, in her eye as she plays back her uh, her wedding video on the beach. What do you do if you kill a character that we don't know very well and you want to evoke some feeling? Yeah. You give us the reactions of the people who did know her well. And yeah. we we take nice long looks at everyone in reaction to this. Detmer full-on grabs Pike's arm during this scene. Yeah. I saw, I, I thought that was pretty intense. I yeah. mean, it worked on me, man. Like, yeah. I felt I felt real feels when uh, when she went away. And uh, I guess now the only computer person is that person with the giant computer head. <laughs> yeah. We only see them in, like, the deep background ever, but there's, like, an iMac head person. 
There's also that, like, Mon Calamari character mm-hmm. that we've been seeing on the bridge a lot. Right. Couldn't we just get a cut to that person going, It's a trap! <laughs> just, what, like, drop out a warp and there's a bunch of mines around a, a, a star base. Get that person saying it's a trap. Easy enough to do. <laughs> They cut that scene out, obviously. Yeah. It feels like the show did that thing that 24 did when they killed Edgar. Uh-huh. They gave us a musicless credit sequence at the end, kind of an in-memoriam style. Yeah. Like, quiet credits is kind of a, a thing that a show does every once in a while to observe the passing of a character. I feel like it's really effective when it's just smash to credits yeah. and when there is the little next time on in between the end of the show and that it, Agreed, it yeah. undercuts the emotional weight of that it does yeah and uh, i kind of wish that that wasn't such a big part of the show but yeah. i mean it's the only way we get to our vasectomy every uh, every episode so i guess we need it yeah <laughs> definitely uh, need the vasectomy did you like the episode adam I did like the episode. I mean, I am just personally too much of a cynic to allow for a show's strategy under these circumstances to manipulate me into feeling for a character that we just don't know and we never knew. Yeah. To the degree that I allowed the show's strategy to work on me, I thought they did a fine job. Like, what else could... What else could they do in 50 minutes? Right. I thought every opportunity the show had to create the feeling of buildup and loss about Arium was well done. Yeah. I, it is unfortunate that these moments weren't sprinkled a little more liberally throughout the series. Like this, uh, this group of four that you described earlier is something that we could have seen even once in this series that we haven't. Yeah. Like that fight scene where we saw Culber beat the shit out of Ash Tyler, like put the four of them in the lunchroom together in that scene. Give us anything yeah. canonically about this friendship. And I think it would have helped. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, I- unfortunately, it's going down to a three person group because like... Odd numbers of friends are always in kind of an inherently unstable yeah. thing, you know. Oh, oh, and Detmer are really just going to push Tilly out now, and yeah, it's going to suck. Quit trying to make Robit happen, Tilly. <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, we'll re- react glance with each other. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth here in that, like, I'm I'm critical of the way this show is, the way this episode is in in evoking those feelings, but I'm uh I will praise this episode's ability to make that happen under the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think it had a high bar to clear and it cleared it. Right. Um it's a bar that it set on it itself though. Like that's yeah. what's so it's so tough. Like it didn't have to make it this hard. <laughs> I know. But uh, but it's if, like you and me, right? Yeah. We, this doesn't have to be so difficult. <laughs> yeah, we've set a, a higher degree of difficulty for ourselves than we really need. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Uh, I really liked it. I I um I will admit that I kind of had a bad reaction to this episode the first time I watched it. I was disappointed that this was going to be a very derivative mm-hmm. sci-fi story about AI being potentially dangerous issue. But um, the more I've thought about it, the more I've liked it. And and on rewatching it and understanding that there was like some subtlety in that and then thinking about 
that thing we've been talking about where there's kind of this motif in the in the season about characters having uh their pasts kind of uh you know brought back to the present in mm-hmm. ways that they have to struggle against that like this also feels like an element of that metaphor you know like something something that we're always dealing with in our present day experience of the world is that like algorithms are doing unpredictable and shitty things and i don't know i think as an allegory it's like more interesting than i thought the first time through and uh the other thing i wanted to like briefly mention is like the show is starting to have like the shot of the ship in orbit around a planet and then like pulling out and going to warp and like like that happens right at the beginning of this episode and it's dumb but that is like a thing about star trek that i love i love getting those moments the of the ship just like like off to the off to the adventure you know and uh it's it's easy to do but this show has like neglected to do it for a long time and i noticed in rewatching the episode that it gives you a little moment to think about like what has been said in the in the scenes preceding it like i feel like you can kind of digest a little bit when something like that happens and this show is often so breathless that getting that little moment i really appreciated it and i thought it made me realize that there's something really smart about the way like old star trek is structured and that this show is kind of like reconnecting with now and i'm really glad that they are yeah it's like an issue of punctuation right because the show for not using that form of punctuation instead uh, begins a transition upside down and then right side ups itself. It, like it, yeah. it, it carries your attention into figuring out your location yeah. instead of, you're right, instead of unpacking the scene that came before and then moving on to the next. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a good episode. Uh, some, some weird omissions like uh, why didn't, uh, I didn't non just put her helmet back on, but, uh, <laughs> but overall I thought it was pretty great. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts and not just my nuts all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. 
And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? <laughs> Did you, I, I just saw you look terrified. Because <laughs> I have a question. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? This is the show where I ask that question, Ben. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you take, you know what? Oh, so it wasn't fear. It was, it was, you were, I was stepping on your toes and you were feeling betrayed. I have so few jobs on this show and that's one of them. <laughs> okay. All right. Turn it around on me, buddy. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? <laughs> Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Uh, I did. I got a big laugh out of Saru when uh, when they when they come out of warp at section thirty one and uh, and they see all these mines. <laughs> Saru was like the there is like a solid five minutes of people just getting on their moral high horse on the bridge where where Admiral Bob has to tell. Uh, Captain Pike, that he's the best person in all of Starfleet, and that's why he was uh, asked to sit out the war and stuff. But Saru, in the background, is like, Mines? The Federation doesn't allow the use of mines? <laughs> that's a great line read, Ben. That's, that feels pretty close to me. God, that was funny to me. I really, really loved when Saru said that thing about the mines. I'm glad you touched on that scene, Ben, because... Like, the idea of the Enterprise being the Federation's Noah's Ark yeah. during the Klingon Federation War. Yeah. Like, that realization hitting Pike and Pike taking that as a compliment. Yeah, he just says, thank you. <laughs> wow. 
Okay. It's so funny. <laughs> funny scene. You're going to have to repopulate the species, guys. You look great, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we we stacked the Enterprise with all of our best-looking officers. Yeah. Uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Yeah, I think... I mean, there's that scene where... Like, Arium tries to do computer yeah. both in her quarters when she's interrupted and, both, and then on the bridge later. Yeah. She's always interrupted by people, but the one interruption that is the most Shimoda-like is Nan's, uh, like, sneaking behind... <laughs> Like lurking on the bridge. Yeah. How how robotic are we to assume that Arium is? Like I get that she doesn't have full use of her neck, like yeah, mobility she's a little, wise. A little twitchy. She's got some blind spots and yeah. uh, Nan is most definitely in that blind spot, but Nan also not a very talented lurker. <laughs> so I'm gonna give my Shimoda to her. Yeah. Also, like, micro Shimoda to her inability to put on her helmet later. Yeah. As she's suffocating. Indeed. That's um, why you don't wear facial jewelry on the job. Like, you see it all the time when you're working around machines. Yeah. In a factory environment. What happens when she goes, to, like, for an MRI? That thing is going to rip out of her face and across the room, you know? Nan almost got her tie caught in the Xerox machine. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> that is gonna. A, that is. A, she's, she's never gonna live that down. It's a real Canadian workplace accident waiting to happen with her. <laughs> God, it it felt like Canadian workplace accident when the thing got ripped out in the yeah. fight scene too. Like yeah. it was a real like. Oh God. Yeah. And then like the holes are like all like black and charred looking. Yeah, they were red initially, and they like oxidized or something. I love that uh, that blood transition. That is nice, nasty. Yeah, yeah. Well, good Shimoda, Adam. What is coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next. It looks like it involves a chair. The next episode does heavily involve a chair. Uh, I was thinking it's the episode where they lethally inject Michael Burnham. I was uh, I was imagining that those uh, those devices that they were placing around that chair were hologram generators, and they're gonna like make it look like she's on the bridge of something that she isn't. Oh, that's my that's my theory. Uh, the other big thing that caught my attention is that uh, Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler uh, play a little tonsil hockey yeah. in the uh, in the vasectomy there. So yeah. uh, that's exciting to see them rekindling that romance. They fit Dr. Culber with a jacked version <laughs> of that suit also. Yeah. He's on an away mission for some reason. Yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah. The, uh, it's interesting how much Michael Burnham like stood up for Ash Tyler in this episode. Like He's not really in the ep that much, but because mm. um, I guess he's confined to quarters. Yeah. But, uh, but like- He's looking out the window like, are those- Blade mines? <laughs> <laughs> cool mines. <laughs> yeah. So uh so that'll be the next episode. Episode ten of uh wow. season two of Disco. Yeah. Only five episodes left, right? It may Or is it four? Is it are there thirteen or fourteen episodes this season? We get fourteen eps this season. Uh the writer of this episode, Michelle Paradise, 
uh, writes for the penultimate and final episode of this season. Wow. So it could be that the storyline that began here is going to be heavily related to those last two eps. Wow. Cool. All right. Well, that will be the next episode. Uh, We will leave it with Rob's, 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 Rob's from here. And I'm sure he'll tell you one more time to go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute to the greatest discovery in the Max Fun Drive. We really appreciate your support. Uh, It's crucial that you support shows like these uh, so that they can continue long into the future. Yep. Bye. MaximumFun.org slash donate. That's where you go to pledge. To show your support for a show like The Greatest Discovery, let's just flat out say it, for The Greatest Discovery, and throw Greatest Generation and Friendly Fire on that list as well. The guys have already talked about it. It's wonderful. It helps us out. It makes it worthwhile. It puts some money in our pocket to keep us going for this show. I mean, I've got like, I don't know, off the top of my head, 17 podcasts. Uh, I focus on this one because I love working with these guys, and I love that we have a community of people that make it possible. It's great. It's wonderful. So let's make sure that we thank Adam Ragusea for the theme music. Isn't that wonderful as well? Yeah, it is. And if you want to reach out to us online, Ben is on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at CutForTime. You can use the hashtag GreatestGen, GreatestDiscovery. I'm at Rob K. Schulte. If you think you know someone that might want to pledge to this, but hasn't listened to this episode, maybe, just send them a message saying, are you pledging? I'm pledging right now. Let's be pledge buddies. And join our discussion groups online. We've got them on Facebook, Reddit. We're all over the place. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.